Open them to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I've been kind of having so much fun here. Um, kind of got to get myself back in the wo- back in the mood, and uh, I can't tell you how much. Uh, well, firstly, let me say this. I'm, I'm going ahead of you guys. I know we have a reading schedule, <clears throat> but I'm going ahead of you. Because in a few weeks, we have this holiday coming up. And that holiday usually requires that I talk about it, and it's not in our schedule. Okay, that holiday is Christmas. All right, I'm, hopefully somebody said Easter. I hope not. Okay. Not that I wouldn't mind being skipping all the snow, but uh, well, Christmas comes first. So, um, I am going to go a little ahead, and I, but I want you. I wanted to, the other thing is I wanted to share this now, so you'll think about it as you read through this book. Um, I was extremely discouraged this week. And I'm not going to get involved in political stuff. But I I woke up asking myself, God, what's wrong? And and, and, um, as I was seeking God about it, and and please, you know, don't don't over-spiritualize that. I, I didn't... I didn't fast for three or four days and, and live out in the backyard in a tent or anything. But I was just saying, Lord, where, you know, where are we? When, when the Lord said, you know, you, you don't realize um, how desperately wicked entire chunks of this country are. Now, that sounds pretty negative. I probably, it's probably not negative enough. And with that, I said, "God, I know what I got to do. I got to pray." So I felt I felt um, burden to pray. It it dawned on me during that little exchange with the Lord that to some to some small degree, I hadn't been trusting Him enough. Our help doesn't come from princes. Our help comes from the Lord. And in this system that God through our founders gave us, the authority comes from beneath. When the authority underneath is broken, misguided, misconstrued, or corrupt, it will produce corruption at the top. And of course, there are always people at the top who figure out ways to manipulate. It's always been the case. So I I had all these things running through my head, and I opened this book, and I began to read the book of Ecclesiastes. So I I put in my sermon title, I actually posted it last night, Hope and wisdom from the preacher. Okay? Not me. The preacher 
is the writer of Ecclesiastes, which is actually what the word means. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I, I began to read this, and I was just so grateful for God's word. And, and I, got, I got just a new love and appreciation for this book. So let me talk to you about it and go down through this as, as quickly as I can here. Uh, there are going to be a couple of themes in this. You know, so I gave you a title, Hope and Wisdom from the Preacher. Another one is Enjoy the Journey. Another one could be The Cure for Materialism. It's all in there. The, the word that we have, the title that we have, Ecclesiastes, is from the Latin Vulgate, which was, which a, which was a, a, a translation of, of the Hebrew Old Testament into Latin because Latin was the language that was used at the church. And uh, um, it, it's, the Hebrew word actually means assembly. So, uh, over time, that word kind of morphed, like words do, to mean the speaker to the assembly, or the what? Preacher. And that word is used in here. And that there's some, some Bible scholars say, well, we don't know if that preacher is a title, or, or actually whether it's a, a, a formal name of, of somebody's name. It's, you know, it's kind of that obscure, I don't understand all that. We don't know who wrote this book. Most, many Bible scholars believe it's Solomon. There's people who kick all that around. I'm not going to, I'm not going to delve down into it. I actually believe it was Solomon. It just matches up with some, some of the, uh, so many of the other things that we know are attributed to him. The main theme, now listen carefully to me, folks, because I was never taught this stuff. Um, but the main theme is fearing God in a broken and confusing world. Because it's broken, it's confusing. Because it's not what God intended it to be, or made it to be, it doesn't add up sometimes. Now, if, if, you're, if you look around the world and your soul gets vexed, then you're like Job. If you look around the world and you wonder what's going on, then you're like those disciples to whom Jesus said, in the world you'll have what? Tribulation. So we, we live in this broken world, and the theme is to trust God and fear God in this broken world. So I, I got kind of six main points, and I pulled some of this out of the notes here from my Bible. Number one is the reality of the fall. We live in a broken world. I wrote that above the title of my, of, uh, where it says Ecclesiastes. I wrote it in red. We live in a broken world. Don't ever forget that. Uh, and we talked about this last week. Sometimes we say things we don't want to say, or we, we, we wish we hadn't said, and we wonder, and we, you know, we have to repent and, 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 uh, we live in a broken world and, and, and we're part of that reality. I, I decided I'd grow this beard. I don't know if it was a wise choice or not. I'm going to find out. I, no, I didn't ask my wife and I'm not asking now either. I just did it. So I can tell you that years ago when my children were very small, I had a beard. It was not this color. 
Number two, the vanity of life. 38 times that word in the Hebrew, vanity, is used in the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> About half all the times it's used in the entire New Testament. Or, excuse me, entire Old Testament. At one point he says, life is a vapor. You know, it's here and then it's gone. Number three, the third thing is sin and death. Because sin and death affect everything. And the, and the wise man here, the, the philosopher, we'll talk about that in a second, he, 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 wanted to, he wanted to try to figure some of that stuff out. Number four is the joy and frustration of work. Now, there's more I could elaborate on this, uh, uh, time to elaborate on all these points or we'll never get, never get done. But if you, if you read the first two or three chapters of the book of Genesis, you'll find out that God puts man and woman in this garden and he says, you take care of this place. And usually that is considered to be work. And then after the fall, when they sinned and the curse came, the work was still required, only now there was going to be frustration. Kind of paraphrasing that. In all of that work. And the preacher here, or Solomon, brings it all together and says, look, and, and you can see it. It's all, it's, he say, well, he says one thing at one point and, and another thing at another point. Yes! Because they're both True. Number five, the enjoyment of God's gifts. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And number six, and the final one, the fear of God in this transitory world full of corruption. That we trust God. As a matter of fact, the, the more we think about this world, the more our hearts ought to be barriered against it and the more our hearts ought to seek that thing which God who is perfect and holy and righteous um, poorly stated perhaps better the more we look at this world the more we should seek God and fear Him now the writer was a philosopher and um, say, well, what does that mean? It, it means he, he was looking for meanings in things. He saw these contradictions. He said, why, why is it that you know, a man works all his life and gathers up stuff and then he dies and somebody else gets it? <laughs> why, why is it that a man works all his life and gathers up stuff and when he dies, someone who gets it who never worked and doesn't deserve it? And even worse... So he said, what's, what's going on with all this? And so he, he began to search for meaning in all of these things. And then he began to search for, for, for the application of all that, with the, the larger meanings in the ordinary things of life. How do these things work together for good and bad? Now, again, I started to say this earlier. I was never taught this. Uh, um, when when I went to Bible school and, and and some of the things that I've read about the 
book of Ecclesiastes, it was not a worldview sort of thing. This is, folks, let me share something with you. This is a worldview. This is, this is the, maybe the wisest man who ever lived, if it was Solomon, who looked at all the things around about him. As a matter of fact, he said, I, I sought to get all the wisdom I could get. And when I, got getting, when I got done getting all I could get, I looked at it and I said, it's all vanity. He, he, he looked at all of it and he came up with a, with a worldview. So there's a difference, and, and you guys have lived long enough to, to know the difference. There's a difference between a defeatist whining or a realistic statement of facts based on trust in God. If you understand that, please say amen. That's awful quiet out there. Is it too warm? Do we need to turn on the air? Keep everybody awake? All right. Let me say it again. There is a difference between defeatist whining and a realistic statement of facts based on trust in God. This guy is not whining. He's just telling us what is. He's telling us that there is corruption. He's telling us that people are oppressed. He's telling us how terrible it is to be one of the oppressed. He's telling us how seemingly wrong it is to labor all your life, and at the end, you die. He's telling us how weird it is that you can be rich, and you can be poor, and you both, what, die in the end. He's telling us that there's a wise man and a foolish man, and at the end, they both, what, die. He's not whining about it. He's just telling you that's the way it is. You say, well, that's pretty obvious that's the way it is. No, it isn't obvious. Because very many people think, because they've, they've got this moralistic view of God and moralistic view of the Bible, as they do right things, good things are going to happen. It's a realistic state. So, he comes, he comes here to give us a worldview of trust in God in the midst of a broken and corrupt world. Now, um, the reason I have some of this, that I have some of this stuff, and I took the time and effort to pack it all up and haul it all in here, and i got to haul it all back again, um, was because I wanted to share with you history. I love history. And these are kind of connecting items to it. I've read enough about history and, and actually read it in their own personal words that when the soldiers stopped worrying about staying alive, when they accepted the reality of death, they did their job better. Now, again, there's a whole lot more that could be said about this. I'll just throw a couple things out there for you to ponder. Jesus said an amazing thing. He said, he that keeps his life will what? And that he that loses it will what? Find it. Amazing that he would say that. Say, well, that's all. That's all nice and spiritual. No, it isn't. There's a reality in it. 
The wise man here figured out he wasn't going to get out of life alive. The wise man figured out it didn't matter if he was rich or poor, he was going to die. The wise man figured out it doesn't matter if he's wise or foolish, he was going to die. But the wise man also figured out that it was better to be wise and foolish. One of the things you can do as you read through this in the next week is you can, if you mark in your Bibles, mark on the places where he uses the word better. And as a matter of fact, I'm looking at it right here in chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. And we'll, I, I, I'm taking this out of context. Sorrow is better than laughter. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a culture that longs to hear the song of fools. Because they don't want to be rebuked. So the preacher here is telling us that there is real meaning in serving God regardless of life, death, rich or poor, success or failure, wise or foolish. There is meaning in serving God. Now, let me go back to chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you, i read you a couple first. First thing I want to read. I wrote this on the top of my book. I was pondering this. This is what I wrote, not what the writer wrote. Here's what I wrote. If I were in heaven looking down on myself and this broken world and seeing all that was going on and my responsibilities, would I worry? And I answered myself, no. Because I could also see how God was in control. Ponder that for a minute, folks. If you were separated from this world and looking down on yourself from above in the presence of Almighty God, you would not be worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow in Washington, D.C. or Moscow or any other place across the face of the earth. Beijing, you wouldn't worry about it at all because what? God's in control. Look with me at verse 7. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And, and, and I'm pulling this kind of out of context. You'll have to read that. And, you know, as we move through this week or so, you're going, you're, you're going to. But what he's doing is he's putting this in the mix. And the context of all of this is that all of this stuff keeps going on and nothing ever changes. And it's true that there's frustration there. If there is no God, if there's no life beyond this one. But if there is a God and if there is a life beyond this one, then my life can be a testimony to the grace and glory of God. The God who sees, the God who knows, and the God who rewards. In other words, I don't labor and work for myself or for my neighbor. I do so for Him. I don't labor and work for the result that may or may not ever come. I do it for Him. I heard a preacher um, say this 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 past week. I wish I had thought of it. It's been my philosophy, but his philosophy was that God called him to take care of the depth and God would take care of the breadth. I, you knew I had to be a preacher, didn't you, when you got, got those rhyming words, okay? 
He takes care of the depths. He feeds His people. And He lets God take care of the breath. Because we serve God. If, if, you're, ser- if you're serving to get something and you get it, the implication from the ministry of Jesus is you already have your reward. And what good is that reward going to do you when you're gone? He even talks about the wise man in here who has all these wise sayings. I wondered if he wasn't being, you know, talking about himself. This guy's got all these wise sayings, you know, and in the end he dies. And guess what? The next people come along, they don't remember what he said. So, wow, is that, is that real? does that really happen? Are you kidding me? And then a Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. And everything changed. So, he's true. It, it's true. We keep, you know, I, I got thinking about this too. I live in my house. Uh, I was thinking about, <laughs> about my house. Uh, somebody else built it. I've got this old picture up. If you go to the thing there that's at my town, Waterloo Town webpage, and you look carefully at that, you'll see the very front of what is my house. Roof line, the neighbor's house. I don't it's old. I don't know who built it. And uh, it's kind of saggy in places. As a matter of fact, you go upstairs, and if you drop a ball in one of the rooms upstairs, it'll just roll right out the door. You know, it'll, 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 you have to, <laughs> actually, you can, if you lay down on the floor, you can feel it. You know, it's like one of those bad beds. Um, it's an old house. It'll probably be there when I'm gone. Someone else will have it. Whatever I've done to it may stay or it may not. It will change. My goal is not to have a house. It's good to have a place, you know, Francis said, to warm, the furnace is on, the air conditioning's on. What a wonderful thing to turn on a faucet and water comes out. What an even more wonderful thing to flush a toilet. Uh, that, was that recorded? All right, so that's on the... All right, so... All right, chapter 2. I'm going to read a bit here, so join with me at, at verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them. From I kept from I kept my heart from no pleasure... For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Now, I, I'll come back to that. But listen to what he says was the reward for his toil. The reward for his toil was the pleasure of doing it. Then I considered that all my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it and beheld all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what man can do... For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to both. And I said, uh, it happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. 
Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, that is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise die, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all his vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master for all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is a vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to despair over the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. It's evil, folks, because we live in a broken world. What is man from all the toil and striving after heart and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his works of, is, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in this life. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. So, I, I, I looked at verses 18 through 23 and I said, you know, all that's true. But we strive and we labor for God, our Creator and our Redeemer, not for ourselves. We don't do it for the next generation. We do it for the Lord. That's why there's a place where He can say, enjoy your labor. And man who has never received, who may never receive wages, at least not here, will at one point receive wages. So we... We should find joy in what we're doing. Chapter 5. Oh, by the way, I, I skipped it. But chapter 3 begins that wonderful passage. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Don't think for a minute that the writer of this book didn't understand that God was sovereign and God was in control. And he goes down through this list of born and die and plant and, and, and uh, reap and kill and heal. and I, I'm not going to read it all, but he goes, it, it says in verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in its time and he's put eternity in man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to do than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. You, you see, I hope you see what, what, at least what I perceive. And God help me as I share this. That he looked around at all of this broken world that he lived in. And he saw all the things that were wrong. And he saw the corruption that was there. He saw the evil that men did. He saw how the just got sometimes uh, fell and had trouble and how the unrighteous were sometimes exalted. He saw all of it. And he knew we lived in a broken world. And he said, yet we don't live for this world. 
Didn't Jesus say something to that effect? That we're to be in the world, but not of it? Didn't we already talk about that in the world we would have what? Tribulation and trials? But He has what? Overcome the world? We don't live for this world. So the, the wise man knew this. And he said, he's put something in man's heart to seek after him. That was, that's God doing that. He wants man to seek after him. And then when we seek after him, we find joy in what we're doing day by day. Chapter 5. Oh, I don't know if I can read all of this. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. In other words, if you're seeking after those things, you're never going to find it. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? (laughs) All right? So the more he gets, the more gets consumed. He sees it and it's gone. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And he goes on and talks about some of the difficulties of the rich. And I, I, I'm running out of time here. I, I don't have time to go through all of this. Look at verse 18. Behold what, what, behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment and all the toil with, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot, everyone also to him. God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. I, I read that wrong. Let me read verse 19 again. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Let me just slip over here real quick as we're getting to the end of this thing and read, read to you from the book of Philippians. Chapter 4. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Do you know what the Apostle Paul was talking about? The Philippians sent him money. When you read the book of Philippians, keep in mind that Paul was writing it as a thank you. He starts out in chapter 1, he ends it in chapter 4, thanking them for their gift. They sent him money, he wrote him a thank you note. Being the apostle, he put all kinds of doctrine in it. Okay? Verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, obedience and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And by the way, when you read the next passage there, I don't 
won't take time to read it, but how God will supply all your needs. Keep in mind that he wrote that to them who sent him an offering when they themselves had needs. Out of their needs they sent him and he wrote them. Don't go quoting that just willy-nilly. Put it in context. But let me go back here. Because Paul's basically saying the same thing that the preacher is saying. He's, he's, he's basically saying, I learned to be content. I looked all around me and I realized that the best thing for me to do is to enjoy my day today and labor for God today and enjoy the blessings of His labor. And if He gives me drink, I'll drink it. And if He gives me food, I'll food it. And if He gives me, I'll eat it. And if He gives me pleasure, I'm glad you're listening. If He gives me, if He gives me pleasures, I'll enjoy that. Charles liked it too. Because that's my reward. He says, that's my reward. I'm going to be content in what God's given me. And he says, this, he says this in spite of knowing that he lives in a broken and corrupt world. Now, real quickly here, I, I just got to share this. Look at chapter 7, verse 10. Well, I read this and I said, oh, oh yeah, that's right. And then, and then he said the next part. It says, uh, well, basically, he rebuked me for doing what I do all the time. Verse 10, Say not, Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So if you've been asking yourself, Why aren't things as good as they used to be? Sorry. I, I join you. <laughs> the old days aren't better. As a matter of fact, I put a little mark there. It's the wrong question. And uh, we won't take time to read all these, but you can read Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, where it says that the, every imagination of man's heart was evil all the time. And guess what God did to them? He drowned them. And then a new group came. <laughs> And we're the result of them, you know, those people coming. Romans, read, read, uh, read Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. You can read Isaiah, too. There's verses in there that talks about how man's heart's wicked continually. You can read Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 32, which gives this whole list about how God revealed himself to mankind. And when they saw him, they said, we don't like to receive and honor God for who he was, and we're going to make God in our own image and in the image of creeping things, etc., you can read Romans chapter 3, verses 9, 9 through 19, where it talks about the sin of man. So, it, it wasn't better back in those days. And I read that, and I was kind of, because I, I know that, you know. I read a little bit of history, I know that. So, I don't understand what all that means. Well, it's now common knowledge that in 1960, Richard Nixon won the vote and should have been president. You can look it up. That was in 1960. And you can go back in our history and find other shenanigans. And then you can just keep going back into other countries and other nations and finding out all the political machinations that went on that created things. Hmm. 
So, I read that and I got convicted. And I said to myself, God, I'm sorry for thinking poor me about the terrible days I live in. I started this by saying that I felt this burden to pray and repent. I encourage you, um, just as a sideline, if, if go to YouTube or get on your podcast thing and look up Doug Wilson's little video, Red, Red Wine, W-H-I-N-E. Okay? I was so disappointed when I first saw it pop up because I kept singing that stupid song in my head. For those of us who are old enough to know that song. Um, but I, 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 I was convicted because I was asking the wrong question. Now, so let me give you some practicality. So here's this guy. He looks around. He's a wise guy. He looks around. He sees all this stuff going on. He says, it's, it's not going to do me any good. That's vanity. This is vanity. That didn't go to work. That didn't go to work. What, what can I do? I can live. I can serve God. I can enjoy what God gives me. That, 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 that's why I put it one of the subtitles could be the, the, enjoy the journey. The other thing could be the, the cure for materialism because none of this stuff is going to go with us. Our reputation is not going to go with us. They can build a monument and put your name on it. And in two generations, people will walk up and say, who is that guy? And people won't even know. They need to put an explanation underneath it. And who knows who's going to write the explanation? So, does this mean that we retreat and drop out? No. Does it... It does mean that we moderate our hearts knowing that God is just. The battle, folks, is, has its own reward. Once again, you read about these people and what they did and the struggles that they had. I, I challenge you, if you're not familiar with it, Look up Teddy Roosevelt's speech, The Man in the Arena. And to the gist of it is, the people who are on the outside cannot share the fellowship of the folks who were in the arena actually doing the fighting. The battle has its own reward. Say, well, I want to see what hap- I want to see what I want to happen to happen. Well, yes, you do. What if it doesn't happen? The battle is its own reward. Stay faithful. And we got we've got parables where all of these guys did was just a little with what they had. How many know what I'm talking about? The only one who got rebuked was the one who did nothing with what he had. And I'll close with this. What is the chief aim of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Don't let this world steal your joy in God.
Would you stand with me? And just before the folks come to sing our closing hymn, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we listed before you earlier a list of prayer requests. And um, people who need jobs, people who are getting jobs, (laughs) people who suffered loss, people who have been injured, need healing. There are also other requests that were not mentioned. There are also folks who aren't here who, if they were here, would have things to share. And in all those needs, you know them. You know all of them. We don't share them with you because you don't know them. We share them with you to acknowledge that you're the source of every good and perfect gift. So we come before you today humbly knowing that we don't deserve any blessing or the answer to any prayer. We come before you today also knowing that you have asked us to pray so that you can answer. We ask you to meet these needs. Lord, we also pray for our country. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for complacency. If we've trusted princes, if our eyes have been in the wrong place, We ask you to forgive us if we've been lax in sharing about your good grace with those round about us. Forgive us if we've been negligent in prayer. Direct our hearts, Lord, toward you. And for those, Lord, today whose hearts are burdened, either by what they see going on in the world round about them or what's going on in their own personal life because these big things all break down to small things, Lord. Our jobs, our health, our homes, our families. If we've looked all around about us and we see nothing that's going on that's good, help us to find your joy in staying faithful to you. Speak to our hearts about it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.